Hey, Theo. Have you heard my new band, Curiosity Door? Hey, Ian. Have you heard my new band? God damn it, Nancy. Have you heard my new band, Justice for Barb? Have you heard my new band, Coffee and Contemplation? Have you heard my new band, Will and the Demogorgons? Have you heard my new band, Monsters on Maple Street? Wait, shit. Hey, uh, have you listened to my balls old podcast, A Matter of Taste? <laughs> We're like babes in the wild. Gordos <laughs> <laughs> in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nep it is. Oh, no. Yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. (laughs) It's wackadoo. Hello, listeners. This is a matter of taste. I'm Ian, and I'm here with Theo. Trying something new there with the uh, yes, was, the little little animaniacs going on. Yes, in our that's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as you may have figured out from our opening tonight, we are discussing Stranger Things, the phenomena that swept the internet. And we're discussing it like just too late to be part of the zeitgeist. So yep, you know, we're, uh, as always, pretty much par for the course with that one. Not even joking about this. Tune in next month for our discussion of The Witch. <laughs> well, witches in general, really. Witches in general. But we will be talking about The Witch because it's boss. Months after we said we were going to talk about it. Yeah, that's true. Well, we didn't get to see it. And then yeah. sometimes money's tight, listeners. You can't mm-hmm. get to the theater. That, not, that anyway. <laughs> not that I'm flush with cash now. But, <laughs> but Stranger Things. Stranger Things, though. this is That might be a record for sides. This is the quickest one. Yes. Um, Stranger Things. Stranger Things is a miniseries that uh, came out on Netflix. Uh, I believe it, was, it dropped July 15th. So, yeah, we're, we're a solid two months and, like, a week behind, uh, behind the world on this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a phenomenon. So I'd, uh, I'd be surprised if you made it to listen to this episode without having seen it already. But if you have... Um, without without having heard of it, at least. Yeah. If you weren't, if, weren't aware of it. If you have somehow reached this episode without uh, watching the show, spoilers. Yeah, no, fair fair shake. There's uh, there's definitely going to be a lot of spoilers as we discuss, um, discuss this series. For once, we remember to throw up a spoiler warning before we start dropping insane spoilers. We normally put one in, like, the... In the post, yeah. In the post. Now, that doesn't help anybody who gets it from iTunes, but... Yeah. I mean, like, you, you gotta assume, though. Yeah. I mean, it is in the info on iTunes, but still. Oh, is it? Yeah, the it, the iTunes, the way it's it works, it, it automatically takes the info from the blog post and puts it into the little info button. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, there you go. A little insight into the inner workings of iTunes uh, podcast um, structure, I guess. <laughs> Listeners, Stranger Things. Um, 
<laughs> we were talking earlier that we're both going to be just trying real fucking hard not to say stranger things have happened because it's like a go-to, you know, like phrase for the both of us. Insert the Foo Fighters song of the same name right here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Uh, what? Uh, well, you're you're hosting this episode, so take okay. it away, man. What 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 do you want to what do you want to bro what talk do you want to broach? Well, I guess first I want to start off with the fact that when I first saw the trailer for this, it was maybe like a month before it actually came out, and I remember watching the trailer and I was like. Oh, this looks like it could be really cool. Or it could be a huge letdown. I hope it's really cool. And then it turned out to be really cool. So that was nice. Maybe it was the first teaser trailer I saw, but I I remember watching the trailer for it and expecting it to be way more low-key in terms of, like, supernatural shit. Oh. (laughs) Like, not that that's disappointing. Like, I, I was just not expecting this. Um... Well, I wasn't expecting it at first, but I was kind of clued into it because uh, it took me like a week or two to watch the full series. Oh, um, yeah. And I watched the whole thing in like one sitting, but mm-hmm. it took me like a week or two to get around to it. And in the interim, I saw like a, an article titled like, Spoilers, Our First Good Look at the Monster from Stranger Things. So it was like, oh, there's a monster. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, so that kind of clued me into, you know, the fact that it was a much, uh, a much, it was much heavier on the speculative fiction side of things than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. If that no, I, I, is applicable here. Yeah, definitely. And I think I would agree. I, I didn't realize how far in that direction it was going to go until like, even really like the, like, so they had the monster in the first episode, but like, it wasn't until the third episode where it's really like, Oh, we're opening on this other world, essentially. Uh, the upside down, and it's they're going. Yep, they're 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 going this far with the uh, the sci-fi horror side of things, which I was pleasantly surprised by. And it the, the thing, I think the key to this show's success is that it it does get into really hard sci-fi stuff, but it never lets that take complete control of the narrative over the emotional stories going on. I don't, I don't know if I'd go hard sci-fi, but... Well, I mean, they start talking about, like, alternate... De- like, the whenever the science teacher comes in, that's when it gets close to the hard sci-fi stuff. Well, I would say, um, like, I, I would agree with heavier sci-fi, but hard sci-fi indicates that there's some sort of, like, this is an extrapolation of existing logical science, which I, I don't know... Oh, uh, yeah. You know, That's I don't true. know if, if I'd go that far. Um, That's fair. I would say it's it's definitely like heavier sci like a heavier sci-fi focus, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's still pretty soft. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I would stress, like mainly because the angle I was coming at it at is even though there are these like cool explanations for what's going on, and we have like an idea of how the upside down connects to our world, we still have no idea what the fuck it is. Like yeah. there's there's no idea what this monster is. It just hap- it's there somehow. Like you know, we we know that there are places in this world that you know that are replicated in the upside down. It's it's like a mirror image of our world. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as far as uh, 
as far as like what what it actually is, what these creatures are, that sort of thing. That that I think taps more into the Lovecraftian side of things. Yeah, it's like these inexplicable extraplanar beings where we can't even quite wrap our heads around what they are. Because like mm-hmm. so much, so much of the like set dressing and the upside down and stuff is just like completely unexplained. Yeah. Which I am happy with. Um, yes. <laughs> I know they're doing a season two. Mm-hmm. I really hope they don't go too far in over-explaining stuff. Cause, Me like, too. There's, there's a hint, there's a lot of it, like, I just don't want to know. I, like... Yeah. I want it to continue to be a mystery. Um, so I feel like if you keep, like, if you explain some stuff and then layer more mysteries on, you start to fall, like, into, like, okay, now you're just trying to, like, outdo yourself and up the game. Yeah. Then you start to fall into <laughs> the, uh, the rabbit hole that Lost fell down. Right, right. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, if you go too long without answering any questions, I feel like it would start to get kind of stagnant. Which falls into the other rabbit hole that Lost fell into. <laughs> there you go. Um, Lost. It was a thing. It was. It was. Uh, a thing that I loved and I still have affection for, but... <laughs> Man, is it flawed. <laughs> we, we love many terrible things on this podcast, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, but yeah, so that's... Those, those, I'm kind of... Uh, I have a bit of trepidation about Stranger Things Season 2. Um, yeah. This, it, season, this season is so strong, though. And yeah. such like a fully realized idea that, you know, I have faith in them. But yeah. those are just kind of qualms that, honestly... Like, it's not that, like, like I said, I have faith in them as creators, but those are qualms that I would have as a writer, where it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know how I would deal with this. Like, yeah, but if they're, if they're confident that they can, you know, they've got the right idea, then more power yeah. to them. Let's see where they go with it. Yeah. Our, our friend TJ, actually, I talked to him about the show and he was very strongly of the opinion that the, there shouldn't be any more seasons because that first season is so strong. Um, and I, I can understand that point of view. It's sort of like uh, like I, I brought up when I was talking to him uh, how Tim Burton will never make a sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, and I think that's a smart decision on his part. Yeah. Um, but uh, for a variety of reasons that we don't have to get into right now. But, uh, but with something like Stranger Things, uh, it, if it's something that the creators want to do, then I, I at least want to see where what they try to do with it. Um, and uh, best case scenario, I think, is something like Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Take a shot. <laughs> where um, you have a very strong first season and you somehow carry that momentum and uh, are able to maintain a lot of the stuff that worked and also try out new things that some people, like, there were a lot of people who dropped off in season two and then a lot more people who dropped off in season three, but there was still, they yeah. still had that, uh, that strength of vision there that even if it wasn't your thing, it was clearly what they wanted to be doing. Yeah. I feel like the strongest drop or the sharpest drop off point was probably the first half of like the Giallo half of season three. Yeah. That was, I, I would guarantee you that's where they lost the most, uh, most viewership during their last, uh, last season. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> which is a shame. Yes. I don't know. I <laughs> I unabashedly love that show. Yeah. 
We like listeners. every 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 like weird bend that they took was like exactly my jam. So yeah. Well, and I think I've talked before uh, on the podcast about how I I'm at a place in the way that I consume content where I really respond to uh, creators doing what they really wanted to do. Uh, in some cases, it may end up being something that I'm not hugely into, but I can, uh, but I appreciate the fact that uh, they are putting out the thing that they wanted to put out. Um, and when it comes to Stranger Things, I hope that's what happens with with the second season. Is that it's not like Netflix came to them and we were like, oh well, this w- did really really well, so. Uh, Make us do it, have do another season, and they're just like, well, we had sort of just planned on doing one, but I guess if you're going to give us more money, no, I'm pretty sure. I think in an interview they said they they were intending to continue it if they could. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure I read that. I can't yeah. be 100 percent because we're late in covering it, and that was months yeah. ago. <laughs> well, and and another comparison to Hannibal, it, when I was watching that last episode of Stranger Things, it felt very much the way, like, the last episode of each season of Hannibal felt, where it's like, okay, if they had to end it here, it would be okay. But they also uh, have left room for, oh, we can take it to another place if we want. Um, I, I mean, the, the epilogue, that one month later, or one year later thing uh, that they had at the end of that that last episode... I think was sort of an indicator of that. It was, I, it almost felt like something that was written after the fact is like, Hey, this looks like it's going to do well. So let's, let's throw this on so that it's clear that, Hey, we, we've got more other stuff. Not, I don't I hope that doesn't sound like I think it seemed tacked on. I don't feel like it was tacked on at all. It just, it was clearly like, Hey, if you guys like this, here's the places that we could go in season two. Yeah. Specifically, the whole thing with Will in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It, it was very much a, a season one finale. Yeah. Um, yeah, the thing with Will in the bathroom. Uh, uh, wow, it's been months since I watched this, so I'm forgetting character names. Hold on. Wikipedia. The Eggos uh, in the Box in the Woods. Yeah, the Eggos in the Box in the Woods. That's got a nice rhythm to it. That should have been one of our bands. <laughs> no, that would be a song. The Eggos That'd in the Box in the Woods. That would be a song. That would be a song by Curiosity Door. That's that's what I'm thinking of. It's the same cadence as Waiting for the Bus in the Rain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, uh, they they definitely left themselves some room to expand there. Speaking of egos, I freaking love the GIF of uh, Eleven walking out of the uh, the uh, the supermarket with just arms full of ego boxes. <laughs> It has been used in so many places, but I love it every time I see it. <laughs> we uh, we blah blah We sort of just like jumping from topic to topic. But is there any like big meaty subject that we want to sort of unpack? Whether it's like the characters or the casting or the different concepts they introduced. Because I, I have a few... You like, just, big... You just naming things that begin with C? I didn't even realize I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> the three C's. Concepts, characters, and casting. 
Um, but uh, I, I have a few like bigger concept things that I know that I want to talk about at some point, but I always feel weird like jumping straight into the big heady concept stuff right at the beginning of an episode. Mm-hmm. The casting in this though was was really fantastic. Oh my gosh. And I think that was in no small part, like a huge part of the success of the show. Yeah. Now these are some of the most likable child actors I've ever seen, <laughs> which is probably why they're becoming like a phenomenon on or phenomenon on uh, phenomenon. Yeah. Whichever. Yeah. On um, like late night TV and stuff. Yeah. They're, well, and that's the all, other thing. They're all very talented. And they're all fantastic in those interviews and stuff. They all seem like great kids. I love the fact that, like, uh, Finn Wolfhard, the kid who plays Mike, he, uh, like, the first thing I thought of when I saw him is that he looks like a younger version of the mom from The Shining. <laughs> oh, Shelley Duvall. Yeah, he looks like a Shelley Duvall if Shelley Duvall was a 12-year-old boy. I could see that, yeah. No, he's he's definitely got a similar facial structure. The first thing that I thought was, I hope that's just his character's D&D name, because, <laughs> like... <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins on, like, Tumblr or Twitter or something tweeted out a picture of the uh, the title card that has both Finn Wolfhard and Millie Bobby Brown on it, and he just, like, wrote a made-up conversation between a p- couple of people, and was like, Hey, we got some empty space here on the credits. Uh, what's some names we can throw in there? <laughs> what's some silly names we can throw in there? <laughs> but yeah, those are fantastic names. Yeah, no, that's it's amazing. Um... Also, speaking of D and D, just like. That was, like, there's the opening D&D session, all the 80s stuff that was just awesome. I mean, props to the use of Demogorgon, because, like, that's not... Like, a, a lot of the a lot of the 80s stuff is just, like, definitely doing your research. Yeah. Like, although I think somebody pointed out, like, um... Oh, God, somebody, somebody was talking about, like, the posters, uh... Uh, the posters in like Jonathan's room or something, mm-hmm. and they're like, "There's no way he had these fucking posters." He's <laughs> it was I can't remember what one it was, and they were like, "There was the Evil Dead one." There was one where they they were like, "There's no way he has an original like theatrical poster <laughs> for this because it didn't become like popular until years later, and he would have yeah. like he would have had to be a super nerd to be like really into this movie and go get an original theatrical poster." Uh, God, it I might have. It- I can't remember it, what the discussion was, but it might have been Evil Dead. That's the only one I can remember because uh, his dad points it out. I don't think it was Evil Dead. I think it was something else. But um, but uh, but, but, but 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 the use of Demogorgon I thought was really interesting because then the monster design is like, yeah, I could definitely see a kid mistake like a kid who's like really hopped up on the high octane D and D like <laughs> where you're fighting like CR thirty monsters or whatever. Mistaking well, it, mistaking that creature for Demogorgon. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? Because, like, it's, it's got actually a similar silhouette to mm-hmm. Demogorgon. 
Well, and I love the, like, I think I was talking to TJ about this. I love the way that they used the D&D terminology to get by one of the things that you can run into sometimes in speculative fiction, where this, the speculative fiction itself has, often has like a, a vocabulary that you have to learn for it. Like, and sometimes that can get to the point where it feels a little silly that like people are using this terminology, like just willy nilly, yeah. uh, like, uh, the, the one place I, I noticed it recently where it kind of bothered me was I caught an episode of, uh, Haven, that, uh, sci-fi original series based on a Stephen King short story. Um, I haven't and, actually watched Haven. Yeah, I, I've seen, I watched like a, the first couple episodes of it and then I watched, uh, I caught an episode of it recently when I was over at my parents' house. Um, and there's this thing that that they call the troubles, which is sort of like this catch-all for the supernatural force on the show. And I can see how in the original short story, it it's a it might be a cool way to uh, refer to magic or something, calling it the troubles, at, which like almost in that old American Gothic terminology type of way. But the episode that I watched recently, they were using uh, like there was a character talking to another, and she was like, well. He took my troubles and gave it to him, and so now he has my troubles. And it, it became so mechanical that I was like, "No, this isn't. This is. It's it just. It's very transparently a uh, a uh, stand-in for like, oh, a curse or magic or something like that." And it it, it started to it it didn't. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. The thing I love about the use of the D&D terminology to refer to, like, the Upside Down, like the Realm of Shadows, or I can't remember what it, what it is from. Yeah, it, it, was an old, it was an older edition term, because I know in modern editions it's just the Shadowfell. Shadowfell. Um, but, uh, and then calling the creature the Demogorgon and, the, like, the kids referring to their group as a party and stuff, they sort of bypass that whole, like, oh, we have to introduce this genre terminology and hope that the we have to introduce new genre terminology and hope that the audience enjoys it they bypass that by using already established genre terminology and just having the D session at the beginning be like oh okay this is another D thing we're, we're cool <laughs> that was one thing i enjoyed <laughs> I, I like got to the end of a rambling statement. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I do think it does help diffuse like some of that silliness because it has like it has like kind of a ridiculous like diegetic base, if you can mm-hmm. use that term in this way. Yeah, <clears throat> where it's like, well, of course it sounds ridiculous. It's what the kids are calling it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like you you. You need to walk a balance because that that isn't like a get out of jail free card that doesn't let you get yeah. away with everything. Mm-hmm. But so you have to have like good iconic iconic I suppose that that's the right word for the situation, terminology, um like very identifiable, unique terminology uh for for what you're doing. And I do think like this show definitely has its own vernacular. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the uh, <clears throat> all of the the supernatural goings on, mm-hmm. biggest uh, most commonly used one being the upside down. Yeah, which I mean that's then 
that's good because that's good because um, <laughs> God, come on, be articulate, you dick. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I I think that that one works. It, I it speaks to how the, the terminology itself works as a whole, and mm-hmm. that they didn't just take like okay, it's all D and D stuff, mm-hmm. like. It's the kids' stuff, but they're pulling from different places. You know what I mean? And they're 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 all logical. I think is one of the biggest things is that it's not like we're making huge leaps to refer to this alternate dimension as the upside down. Like they have the whole thing with the acrobat and the flea, and it's like okay, yeah, the upside down. It sort of makes sense, and it's also a simple enough term that it you don't stumble over it trying to remember like oh well this is area six five two of the <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like that was when I saw the Demogorgon, like the outline of it, I was like, oh shit, yeah, no, that's exactly what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, friendo. <laughs> Some accurate uh, identification. I wonder if this show, like, there, there's been a resurgence in D and D lately because of all the streaming shows. But I wonder if anyone uh, decided to try out D and D because of Stranger Things. Uh, I don't know. That'd be cool, though. Yeah. I am all for promoting the hobby. Yeah. It is It is a weird, like, zeitgeist that hit right at... I don't know what it was. Like, Critical Role is part of it, but it's like all these streaming shows hit all at the same time. I think it's probably, like, not to tangent too far, but it probably goes back to something technolo- on a technological level, like with Twitch coming up and then people be having access to technology to it on a, a more affordable rate or whatever uh, so that they can stream stuff. Um, yeah, I don't... That's... Maybe? Well, and then also 5th Edition. 5th Edition came out uh, right around the time that like Critical Role started. Right. So that... But then that was that was actually going for a decent like chunk of time, not not like super long. I don't know, because I'm trying to think. Like somebody asked me if I wanted to be in a game, so I started playing with them, and then that's when we started our game, mm-hmm. and that was all right around the time that this you know started going on. But yeah. I don't know if the person who originally asked me found out about it through like streaming or whatever. Because I didn't start watching Critical Role until, like, several months into our game. Ah. Uh, Remember? Because you were telling me about it. Yeah, that's true. And, it, yeah, it wasn't until a while into our game that I started watching Critical Role. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure there is, like, a very, very cool analysis you could do to figure out what the domino effect was of, like, 5th edition coming out and streaming and different stuff happening I think it's just, uh, it was just a, a quirk of, like, a confluence of, pardon me, a, a quirk of, like, a confluence of different events. I'm sure yeah. it's, like, everything, it's one of those weird coincidences where everything just happened to fall yeah. in the right place at the right time. But I would actually be interested to see if anybody decided to try out D&D thanks to, thanks to Stranger Things. Yeah. I also liked watching certain, there were certain scenes while watching the show were like, I started thinking like, and it wasn't all of the scenes. I don't think they like sat down with each episode and was like, okay, here's how we structure this episode, like a D and D adventure. But there were certain scenes where 
I could sort of feel like the, uh, and this is probably just informed by the fact that the Duffer brothers are familiar with the game and that familiarity informs their writing. There are certain scenes where I felt like, yeah, they're forming a party here or like, oh, they've got, they, they don't have a healer here or something like that. <laughs> Every time I watch the mummy, I just think you guys need a fucking cleric. Yeah. <laughs> a well, ranger, they... a wizard and a paladin. The biggest who doesn't do much. The <clears throat> biggest thing I think being that, like, it takes a lot to take down the demogorgon at the end of the series, oh, and yeah. it and it's not like they were just like, oh well, that that was actually something that my my dad and I disagreed about, or was it my dad and I or TJ and I? I can't remember. I was having a conversation with someone about the way that the demogorgon was uh, destroyed in the end, but. I love the fact that you see, uh, like, over the course of a whole friggin' episode, a bunch of different people just taking pot shots at it. And it's like, that that was one of those moments where, like, from a D&D perspective, I was like, this does feel like a higher CR rate, uh, higher challenge rating creature. And this does feel like how long it would take to kill in a game. Um, but then you, you get to the point at toward the end where even though it's been hit so many times, it still takes eleven using her ninth level spell of disintegration to uh, <laughs> to get rid of it. And that whole thing is that 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 I think I was talking to TJ about it because I remember him having issues with that whole way the creature was disposed of and how uh, eleven also sort of uh, dissolved with it. Right. I, I don't have too many issues with it because mostly because of that that tag at the end in the epilogue where you see the egos in the in the box. I was like, we we were moving towards it. And I was like, oh man, we're going with the whole like uh, Messiah sacrificing herself type thing, which it's it because I like the show so much and because they they did it so well. I wasn't going to necessarily hold it against him, even though it was kind of tropey. Um, but I did like the fact that they had a nod there in the epilogue that, yeah, Eleven, is she might still be around. Yeah, I, w- I was going to hold it against them if they didn't have that tag, because I went into it knowing there was already a second season. Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so it was like, you can't, like, that's going to feel so cheap, like, if you just bring her back out of nowhere. But mm-hmm. the tag at least set up for it. Yeah. So I'm, I was okay with it. Um because I was a little irritated before the tag. I was like, like you know she's going to come back. Don't make us think that she's dead. She's like the most interesting character you have, and you're doing yeah. multiple seasons. Like, don't <laughs> don't play me that way. But uh, <laughs> but the tag, it's like, oh, okay. At least you're acknowledging that, like, of course she's going to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you guys can't afford to play the long game because these kids are going to grow up. Like, <laughs> yeah. That is one of the advantages to, of doing a TV series rather than like a movie series with kids is that because TV series generally work on a yearly basis, you can sort of structure your writing around that. Whereas like with the Harry Potter films, they get to movie three and the kids are 15 years old, but the characters are 13 years old and that divide just keeps growing as time goes on because movies are such a huge production. Which is 
why somewhere down the line I would love to see like them do a Harry Potter TV series, but not anytime soon because holy crap. <laughs> uh, but Stranger Things. But Stranger Things, though. Okay, so here's here's the thing. Uh, I remember reading an article, uh, uh, like a review of Stranger Things, where someone was talking about how uh, they think Stranger Things fell short where, like, 80s horror movies succeed by jumping between the different groups so much not, and rather than just focusing on one age group. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the, I can't remember what... It, it, I read it a while ago, so I don't even know if I'd be able to search and find it to bring up a link for the post. But I remember the person was arguing that with uh, with these '80s movies that the that Stranger Things is referencing and paying homage to, a lot of them work really well because the hor- horrific aspect is like a metaphor for something else, mm-hmm. uh, or symbolic of something else, or they're exploring something about a particular age like with it how it's sort of exploring the uh, childhood and the things that happen in childhood and the way you look back on those things um and uh the person who wrote this article was arguing that because stranger things jumps between like the preteen kids to the teenagers to the adults and back and forth so much it never really settles on a single thing which I think this is something we brought up so many times before on the show is that I don't think that's like that's a fair criticism potentially, but I don't think that's what the show was trying to accomplish. No, yeah, I would definitely concur because like yeah. you can compare them to like that single movie, but the show clearly is attempting to homage three types of movies at once. Mm-hmm. Like because you've got the younger kids story that's like a sort of Amblin film. Um, where, you know, they have the horror, but they're 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 also doing like an ET style thing, and it's a very like coming of age. Stand um, by me. Yeah, like well, yeah, they're shots that directly homage Stand yeah. by Me. Um, <clears throat> and then like the older teens are just in like a straight up monster slasher flick. Yeah. And the adults are in like a conspiracy thriller. Hmm. Like, there are three very different kinds of movies that this movie is, like, paying homage to. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't have... It, it, I'm sure people would be able to argue that it, it does have a very clear, um, significant thematic thrust, but not one that I can identify at the drop of that. I, mm-hmm. I feel like you'd have to, have to mine that out a little bit. And even if it doesn't, I'm okay with that, because, again... I don't think it was trying to be like, there's always the, as much as I do enjoy certain things that do that, where they, it like, where the horror of a story is clearly a metaphor for something else. And there's certain movies that do that really, really well. I, uh, I'm okay with stranger things, not doing that. And you don't have to do that all the time. And there's always a risk of going too far with that, where it's like, oh, the zombies are a metaphor for consumerism. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> we, we've heard the zombies are a metaphor for consumerism before. Exactly. And that's the other thing is like you have, there's a chance that you'll just stumble into ground that's been tread so many times before. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, they, it, the show is much more clearly focused on the characters and their arcs that it, I think trying to throw too much like moral or theme into it might detract from that sort of stuff. Like it's a sort of it's a sort of thing where like any of those sorts of themes, I think, arise organically out of the character stories, yeah, which is I the think- way it should really happen most of the time anyway. Maybe we just need another season or two. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to talk about. Like, we, we can talk in, like, general, generalities and vagaries. Like, oh, well, there's stuff about friendship and the people you grow up with being your best friends. and uh, But it, it's nothing, like, specific where, like, you have, like, a one-liner at the end of the show. It's like, oh, that's what it's all about. Yeah, uh, I mean, the closest I can think is it being to a certain extent about the sanctity of choice and free will, but that's, Mm. that's just so broad. It's a Jesus metaphor. Yeah. It's always a Jesus metaphor. (laughs) What we need is Christ metaphors. Yes. (laughs) What's that XKCD comic uh, where he uh, talks about how long it takes uh, pretending to be each like college major before they figure out that he's not supposed to be there. And the last one is English major. And it's like three semesters in a term paper and they still haven't figured it out. <laughs> it's just him saying, I think uh, the fence here is a metaphor for life or something like that. <clears throat> Do you have any favorite characters in particular or favorite moments? Uh, I really like Nancy's whole arc, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her arc a lot. I thought it was really cool. I'm really glad that she didn't end up with Jonathan. Oh, uh, yeah. Because um, that would be really fucking tired. And then, like, uh, after I watched it, I had to pick... My friend's, like, car broke down, so I had to pick him up for work. And he was just insisting that the worst part of the show was that she didn't end up with Jonathan. I was like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'm like, it's six in the morning, dude. I haven't had coffee. I can't do this right now. <laughs> well, okay, so, well, here's the thing. It's not six in the morning right now. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, I, I... But, uh... I know. No, I'm saying that because I... I understand where you're coming from, and I've heard a lot of people say that they were glad that she didn't end up with Jonathan. And I, to a certain degree, I am too. I also, as I was watching that epilogue, remember having a visceral reaction to seeing her with Steve that was just like, what the fuck? Why is she with that dude? Uh, wait, hold on, Ian. It's fiction. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I I think part of it was just because friggin' Jonathan Byers reminds me of Emo Hawk Tobias from the Animorphs so much. Oh. <laughs> and I love Emo Hawk Tobias from the Animorphs. <laughs> I think the reason that I was willing uh, I was very willing to accept that uh, Nancy had gone back to Steve is remembering two key things. Number one is that teenagers are horny, and number two, <laughs> Steve looks like Andrew Garfield a bit. So fair. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's that's all I got. <laughs> but no, I do I do like that they didn't, you know, feed into that really tired story. Yeah, it, and yeah, in retrospect, I, I am sort of glad that they didn't. I I would love to see them end up together somewhere down the line, but I think story wise, I understand why they're not at that point yet. Um. Another character arc, though, that I was in, like, I was really happy with how they handled Steve, because he could have very easily have just been a straight up douchebag, but he did have nuance to his character, yeah, and no, like his his friends were straight up douchebags, but you could tell that like he was really trying not to be, yeah, and just was never given the tools as a child to not be a yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, he they actually treated his character with a lot of like nuance. Yeah, and I fucking love when he walks in uh, to the buyer's house at, in that last episode or the last couple episodes and he walks in on Jonathan and Nancy with like armed to the teeth and he's just like what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> that whole sequence of events from him knocking on the door Nancy opening the door, him being like, wait, what's going on? Wait, your hand's bleeding. Is he hurting you? Walking in, seeing her holding a bat. <laughs> yeah. Or, and like, or was it, he had the bat and she had the gun? Cause I know that she started taking, taking pot shots, but both of them have weapons. And just like, I just love watching that scene and picturing what must be going through Steve's mind at that moment. Just like, what the fuck is going on? And then a he's, thing falls out of the ceiling. And he's it's just, not whoa. prepared for this level of anarchy right now. Exactly. And I love the fact that, like, on a mechanical level, okay, the two kids cutting their hands wasn't enough, but Steve's covered in blood, and that's what what attracts the Demogorgon. Yeah. Oh, man. There there were moments like that, that on the show that I just loved how clever they were. <laughs> there is so much to like about this show. And of course it has its flaws, but what doesn't? <laughs> no, this is true. Um, I think the biggest thing that, I mean, you could say it's a character thing, but and I understand why they do it, did it, and because the show is so good, I'm willing to give him like, the benefit of the doubt with it or let him have that moment. Sort of like when we were talking about Cloverfield, we enjoyed it so, or 12 Cloverfield Lane, we enjoyed it so much that we let him have the ending, even if it was a little silly. When, <laughs> yeah, I think I later found out that, that that script was an entirely different script that didn't have that ending. Oh, yeah. And then, like, J.J. Abrams bought it and wrote that ending to, like, kind of tie it into Cloverfields. Yeah, definitely. Which is really clear. <laughs> but uh, the moment that that's sort of like that with Stranger Things, although, again, I sort of I understand why they did it this way is when friggin' Nancy decides to climb into the friggin' portal to death. Oh, yeah. Without, it's, like, she calls it's our John, band name. <laughs> portal to death? No, goddammit, Nancy. Goddammit. Because it's like, okay, like, she's looking at it, and I'm like, don't go in there, don't go in there. Jonathan, okay, good, she's calling for Jonathan, and she knows she shouldn't go, she's going in there. What the fucking hell damn shit? Fuck Nancy. <laughs> I remember your tweet from that. It was in all yeah. caps and it was amazing. <laughs> I was just like, why? 
like throughout this whole show, people have shown fairly good genre awareness and not being like, go, don't go in there. Okay. They didn't go in there. Awesome. That's the one moment where they let someone do that. And again, I understand why they did it so that they could have that cliffhanger between the episodes. And if they had left Nancy in the, the upside down, I think I would have had more issues with it. Cause like, come on, Nancy. But the fact that she got back out pretty quickly, even though that whole little sequence, you looking at it from a certain perspective, you could say it's kind of cheap narratively. I, I let him have it. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost wonder if they designed it so that like, it's, it, it's almost like, uh, uh, the thing that's popping into my head is their like test. I remember my therapist telling me about how like left brain, right brain, there are certain tests uh, that they set up so that like, you get a ton of right brain questions and then they give you one left brain question and your brain just can't grok it because you've been so right brain for so long. This is in a similar way. This moment in the show is like, okay, up until this point, everyone's been making fairly sound decisions. So to see someone make the worst decision ever is just like, what the fuck? And it's almost like they were trying to draw that out, that reaction out of the audience. Like, no, don't go in there. I know this is supposed to be a slasher film, but you don't need to adhere to all of the tropes. <laughs> oh, man. The moment be- right before that, though, when uh, they're looking at the the body of the deer mm-hmm. and uh, they have the moment trying to figure <clears throat> out, okay, we, we got to put it out of its misery. Which one of us is going to do it? Which one of us is going to do it? the way that they shot that so that like it's it's clear like oh this is this is the whole character arc of the episode we've been building to this point and then yoink yeah so freaking good again i feel like i'm just jumping from thing to thing that i like but there's it's just fun to talk about the things that i like about this show because it's so freaking good (laughs) what about you is there anything jumping out at you that we haven't talked about yet? I mean, we touched on it, but the the kids' performances are just really good. Oh yeah, like they're I, I I have a very I mean it's a high bar for me for kids in movies. Like mm-hmm. not that I, I I just I get irritated very quickly. Um, <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't have patience, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But in this one, it was like effortless. Like I never. I never really had an issue with the kids. Yeah. I think it's a combination of really good actors and also writers who know how to write kids. Cause I think that maybe like in, in some movies, part of the reason the child performances fail is because they haven't really spent a whole lot of time thinking about, Oh, what's the actual way kids act. And they, the, the writer isn't really thinking about like the way that kids speak, the way that their logic is. Whereas the these the way that these kids are written feels like the way that kids act. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, that, I, that helps get really good performances out of child actors. I definitely agree, and I think that's one of those things that like Stephen King does it really well. Mm-hmm. Like Stephen King writes kids so well. I don't know what it is, but he does. I think it was, um, <laughs> it was on like Twitter the other day. Uh, and, uh, uh, Dave Uzumari, um, was, he's rereading the, uh, Dark Tower series, 
and uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, Jake Chambers is a uh, <laughs> Jake Chambers is a child protagonist in an epic fantasy, and he is not grading at all. That's how good the Dark Tower is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all the, I remember, like, one of the things that really surprised me about the show was how much I really liked Dustin's character. Not that I didn't like him to begin with, but the moment where I was like, this kid is fucking awesome, is that scene where he's on the bike, either he and Mike are on the bikes, and they're riding away from Lucas's house after the shit show of a conversation they had, and or no, even before that, when uh, it, it's right after Eleven disappears, after she's telekinesis Lucas into the, across the field or whatever, and uh, Dustin and Mike are down in the basement, and, and Mike's just like, I can't believe you did that, and uh, he's like, well, you sort of, Dustin's sort of like, well, you sort of started it, and he's like, really, you're gonna side with him? I can't even listen. No, you listen, Mike. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, kid, from, like, it's one of those reminders that everybody's the hero of their own story. Exactly. And that was like the moment where Dustin, like, he was awesome up until that point, like where the compasses and, and uh, all the different stuff he was doing. But like, that was the moment where I was like, this kid is fucking awesome. And then everything after that was just awesome. The whole, like, he just started dropping truth bombs like on the bikes and stuff. And then even that, I love the way that Mike comes back with it. And Lucas isn't my best friend. I mean, he is, but you are too. And then he's just like, you can't have more than one best friend. Who says logic? Well, that's bullshit. You can have more than one best friend because you're my best friend too. And he's like, okay. I, I love that whole scene. <laughs> that scene meant so much to me <laughs> in so on so many different levels. Like, I don't even know how far I can get into it, but, dude, if I had had someone like that when I was younger, then, geez, some some of the relationships I would have had when I was younger might have gone better. <laughs> Not to say that they went, like, horribly or anything, but just that was such, it was so great to see that sort of mentality. Yeah. I didn't mean for things to get real here, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, that that whole episode was... That episode is probably my favorite episode of the series, because I, I think that one's the monster, because that's also the one that ends with you find out that Eleven, uh, in her distress in the sensory depth chamber, she tore open the portal to the Upside Down, and so she is all like... I'm the monster, and then Mike immediately is like, no, you're not the monster, because you just saved my fucking life. Yeah. I just, that whole episode, I loved the fuck out of that episode. I'm saying fuck a lot. Yeah, you are. You're very, <laughs> Must... you're very excited about this show, which I can respect. <laughs> I'm, I'm digging your passion here. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, there's just so many things. I, I said before, there's so many things to like about the show. There's so many things I specifically like about this show. <laughs> um, and we haven't even touched on the whole Silent Hill aspect of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
there's a there's a definite Silent Hill vibe, which the Duffer Brothers like came out and acknowledged afterwards. Yeah, they talked about Silent Hill <laughs> and The Last of Us being big influences. And there, there was another video game I think they referenced, but I can't remember what it was. Um, but specifically, like when it comes to the Upside Down, the thing I love about the Upside Down is it's so very much the other world from Silent Hill without being a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Like mechanically, it's very similar in that you're walking through. Uh, that's one of the things I love about the other world in the Silent Hill games that I think is overlooked, especially in the more recent games, because. I understand as a gameplay mechanic, it might seem boring to go through the same areas over again, but in those early Silent Hill games, one of the things that was so frightening about the other world is going through the same areas, seeing them distorted and deformed, and also like gaining access to uh, different areas that weren't accessible in the regular world. And so it's like, oh, this was barred off before. Do I want to go in here now that it's the other world? <laughs> Like, uh, the, if I want to get into specifics, specifically I'm thinking of in, in Silent Hill 2 when you're, when you're going through Brookhaven Hospital, which is a, an asylum, essentially, a psycholo- a mental hospital. You go through it in uh, the regular world and then it shifts to the other world and suddenly you have, you gain access to like the, uh, uh, the, uh, what's the phrase? You gain access to uh, the rooms for, like, the really high-issue patients or something like that. Uh, and so it's oh, like... Oh, like the intensive care. Yeah. ICU. Well, no, no, not, not ICU, because it's not, uh, not a it's not a medical hospital in the games. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, my bad. It's, it's a mental hospital, and so it's, it's like the place where they have, like, a padded rooms and stuff. And, like, you walk into one of the padded rooms, it's just covered in blood, and it's like... I do not want to be here right now, but there's nowhere else I can go because the other world wants me to be here. What the fuck, Silent Hill? Um, but, uh, so that's one of the things I like about the, the Silent Hill other world that they sort of carried over to the upside down and that, like, you're going through these familiar places, but they're so changed. It's that, like, an uncanny valley of uh, landscape. Yeah. It's familiar enough to be uh, like, oh, this is the school or this is this place, but it's so there's all this stuff that's different that it just creeps you the fuck out. One of the things I really like that's different about the Upside Down is the fact that with Silent Hill, Silent Hill's other world is very much based in like this sort of almost like almost like a steampunk aesthetic with like rusted pipes and. Uh, uh, red and blood everywhere, and like obviously they changed it up in some of the later games, but there's still that sort of industrial aspect to it. Whereas the Upside Down is so much organic sci-fi horror aspect. Like they even reference Alien with the eggs and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I love that they went in that direction with it. And like, like the little almost like a like the dust flying through the air that almost was like a fairy lights or a fairy fire type thing going through the air. I love that. The the aesthetic that they went with for the upside down was just so, so awesome. Mm-hmm. And also like just tonally or uh, temperature wise, it's so much different than the other world. Cause the other world, from what I recall, um, aside from being industrial was used a lot of like hotter colors yeah, especially Whereas, in games. What's up? 
Especially in the earlier games. Yeah, and even, like, like the notion of blood, like, you know, it's very red, whereas the upside down was almost all cool colors, to the point where when we see blood, it's almost like black. It's very... It's very blue and black, and there I think there's like maybe some green highlights every now and again, but it's like a very dark, like dark green. Um, so it's even though it's you can see how they're indebted when you're watching it, it doesn't immediately read like that. It's only like upon reflection. Yeah, I will say when my my parents caught up on the show, like they started off episode three, which is that opening scene with Barb in the pool. And that that episode just starts right off like that. I think is the first moment where it's like, oh, we're going this far with it. This is how dark we're getting. This is how serious things are. Um, I remember my dad saying, "Is like, oh, we're going Silent Hill with this now." <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I think like that aesthetic difference speaks to one of the things I like about the way the horror is handled in the show overall, is that there are things mechanically that feel very much like supernatural horror, but in actual, or I might be mixing up theoretic, theoretically and mechanically, but there's, okay, like the telekinesis and stuff, there's uh, this idea of the upside down, whereas a lot of stuff in recent years in horror has been more supernaturally based. This one was much more sci-fi based, which I liked a lot about it. Mm-hmm. And sort of also, like, I think that that was part of what helped ground the show and keep it from getting too far. Or like, it, And it's funny to say that because it's like they have a friggin' creature from another dimension. Like, that's that's very out there sci-fi stuff. But because they didn't get into, like, they didn't get too far into, like, trying to draw on, like, oh, fortune telling or other aspects of more supernatural horror... They, I felt like that helped keep the show grounded in quote unquote reality. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I can see where you're coming from with that. It's like, I, when I watch a, when I play a Silent Hill game, I'm going for that, going into that for like the, the (laughs) atmosphere of the occult and like ghost stories and that sort of thing. I like the fact that when we went into Stranger Things, it wasn't based in the occult. It was based in, like, just science gone wrong. Yeah, I I think that might be another thing that adds to the, um, to the, where where I'm getting the Lovecraft vibes from. Mm -hmm. Because that's, like, a big theme in a lot of Lovecraft's writing, where it's, like, uh, it was a reaction to, like, the scientific zeitgeist, where it's like, science, the, the world of the future, all of your problems can be solved. And Lovecraft's writing is very clearly like, the world is terrible and beyond our ken, and science can do nothing to help you. Like, <laughs> which I feel like is definitely one of, the, one of the pushing points of Stranger Things, where it's like, they're trying to mess with shit that they yeah. just do not... They're, they're writing a lot of checks that their asses can't cash right now. <laughs> like... Fucking Brenner. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Brenner. <clears throat> oh, my. Dude, how, like... Okay, I just, like, there's so many different things we can talk about with this show. And at some point, we'll, we'll have to wrap it up, but I, I still have stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> 
the uh, way that they handled Eleven as a character. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to TJ about this. I think one of the advantages of doing it on Netflix is that they didn't have to temper how dangerous she actually is. Whereas if it was on like a cable show or like a network show, I feel like they would try to come up with ways to be like, oh, well, she killed that guy, but it's, it was like a justified thing. And, and like, not to say that like the people that Eleven kills on the show, uh, she shouldn't have killed those people, but like she kills a lot of people. <laughs> and that's a little harder to just wave away and be like, oh, well, Katniss shot that one dude because he killed her friend. So. <laughs> That that was just the example I thought of when it, uh, when thinking about the way that they handle uh, kids killing people in uh, media. Like with a story like The Hunger Games, uh, it's about kids killing kids, but we're looking at it through Katniss's point of view, and it's very careful to make sure that the only time you see her kill anybody in that first book is when it's it's like there's there's absolutely no other way. At, or it's like uh, in response to uh, something that's a very traumatic thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, which I remember again when I was talking to TJ about Hunger Games, he that was one of the things he sort of disliked about it. Sort of like, oh, we're, we got to make sure that it's it like Katniss is a still a good person, quote unquote, sort of type thing. Whereas with Eleven, it's like, no, she kills a ton of people. Yeah. <laughs> like she kills a whole hallway of people in that last episode, and, and they, that is... tr- they trust you to continue to be behind the character. Yes, <laughs> because again, like half the like all those people she killed were horrible government people that like tortured her and stuff. <laughs> and dude, that freaking uh, that that government woman. Who, came, who the one who sort of disguised herself as different people to get into people's houses, oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. She was fantastic, like <clears throat> the actress and the writing for that character. That was so cool. She was that character that you love to be like, oh shit, she's here. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that... I again, I feel like I'm just going on and on and on. So stop me, Phil, or say something. I don't know. (laughs) How about the soundtrack? What did you think of the soundtrack? (laughs) You know better than to expect me to have opinions on the soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, I like that the clash was used. Oh, yeah. Pretty pretty psyched about that mm. and used in a very very cool way how'd you feel about Winona Ryder do uh this is <laughs> I'm not gonna have any negative opinion about Winona Ryder uh. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I yeah no I I'm I firmly in the Winona Ryder camp um I thought she was tremendous mm. uh I know, like, a lot of people were, like, they were just, like, not a lot of people, but there were criticisms of, like, oh, she's so one-note. All she has is that she's, like, worried about her son. It's, like, she's fucking worried about her son! Like... 
Yeah, my my dad thought she was a little over the top, but I I too was sort of like, yeah, but her son is missing, and uh, like the thing that bugged me about her story, it's not even it. I did again. It's sort of like an issue with the genre, not necessarily the writing itself, but like. A lot of her story in those first few episodes tread like they start. They aren't necessarily tropey, but they do tread those same story beats we see in a lot of these sort of stories where it's like the one person knows the truth and no one will believe her. Yeah, um, no, that's that's fair. The thing I I liked about Stranger Things is that because it's an eight episode season they don't let that get drawn out so much longer, uh, which it totally could have in another TV show. If they had more, if they had a, if they were doing this as like a full 22 episode or even like a 13 episode season on a network or something, I could see them drawing that out, that sort of stuff out a lot longer, but like episode four, you get Nancy going to Jonathan with a picture and they both realize, Oh fuck. Jonathan's mom isn't, like losing your mind, she's actually seen something. Yeah, I like the fact that they moved that that story evolved at a pace that made sense, and they didn't just hold all of the answers off until the last episode, which would have been a horrible choice. And the, okay, so there wasn't there weren't any moments in the show where I cried. The moment where I got choked up was when Winona Ryder's sitting there with Eleven as they're preparing for the sensory depth tank and she just starts comforting her and being like, look, if it gets scary in there, you just, you just hold my hand. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, that was a really good moment. That was such a fantastic moment. And another reason uh, it, that is one of the moments I point to as like such a, like not archetypal, not iconic because it's not like, something that you see in a whole bunch of stuff, but like a moment in this show that I point to as like, that's what makes this show, this show is the fact that even as there's all this really crazy sci-fi stuff going on, this woman thinks to, she looks at this kid and she's like, this kid is probably scared out of her mind. She needs to know that someone's in her corner as we're about to do this. And it's such, it's, it's such a human moment. And again, like the fact that they have moments like that, even that late into the series when there's so much genre stuff going on that can uh, sometimes take the spotlight away from the more human character moments. The fact that they were still having character moments and like the last episode, how we got those bits about uh, Hopper's uh, backstory with his daughter throughout the time they're walking through the upside down. It's just those are the things that I love that make this show that elevates the show beyond just oh it's a it's a cool show with scary stuff in it which it it would be fine if it was just a cool stuff with a cool show with scary stuff in it but the fact that it's it it clings so it cleaves so close to the characters and makes sure that you're following this story through the characters that's one of the things that i respect so much about the duffer brothers and all the writers on the writing team for the show. Yeah, no, no. I, I don't think if it was just a cool show about, like, scary monsters, it wouldn't have become the phenomenon 
phenomenon that it did, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that moment is ex- it's a very very human moment, like you said. That was the first thing that came to mind actually when you were describing it. Well, and with the Barb stuff too, the fact that they kept touching on the Barb stuff, and like I remember reading an article about the Duffer Brothers after like the whole Justice for Barb thing started where they were talking about how like it, it was something that we were thinking about every episode. What, but what about Barb? Uh, and the, like, the, I think they even said themselves, they do feel like there was a, the, that that was one of the things that sort of fell to the wayside. Like you never see Barb's parents. Uh, but even then you still have, they maintained that through line with Nancy throughout this, the season uh, so that you didn't just forget about it. Yeah. Cause it, like how many horror movies have you watched where like you just forget about the first kid that dies in like the next 15 minutes because they're not important. Like I, I can't. And I mean, in a movie it's, you only have so much time to tell a story. So sometimes it's a necessity, but still uh, the fact that they didn't just forget about her. So This is really dumb, but for some reason, all I can think of is the um, the lady running the radios in the tower in Deep Blue Sea. Oh, jeez. I actually a, haven't seen Deep Blue Sea. That's such a weird reference. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, I would recommend it. It's very silly. Uh, <laughs> it has... Uh, one of the hallmarks of a great movie, which is a uh, rap song that just describes the entire plot playing over the Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I don't how does it, it? How does it compare to the credit song from Surf Ninjas? From now on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if anything can live up to the Surf Ninjas soundtrack. So. <laughs> That's, uh, Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Now I was just like, I don't know where that fucking came from. I don't know why that was, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they—they, they, I guess the Duffer Brothers said that they were going to go further into Barb's story in uh, in season two. So, yeah. you know, if that's if that's what you're looking for, yeah. Got they assured us that there will be justice for Barb. Something to at least look forward to there. <laughs> oh my, I don't, I don't know if I have anything. I yeah, I don't know. I I'm sure there's something else I could ramble on about for another 15 minutes to a half hour. But I'm, we've talked about a bunch of different stuff. So yeah, this is true. I mean, it's it's at least six hours of content. Um, so yeah. There's plenty of stuff to talk about because what are they episodes are like 45 minutes aren't they uh the shortest one is 42 the longest one is 55 oh okay so yeah i'd say at least six hours it's eight episodes yeah Um, i i watched the last six episodes from 7 p.m to midnight one night and ended like right on midnight i went to bed i went to bed at like two or three i watched the entire series in one sitting (laughs) um but, yeah, I think I don't have anything else at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing that popped into my head was just, like, aesthetically, the show is fantastic. They really nailed it, making it... They nailed the 80s look without it feeling like such a throwback that it's like, oh, 
uh, this is kind of jarring. Um, and uh, they also like the aesthetic of the genre aspects of the show, like the creature itself and the upside down. We talked about that a little bit already. Um, that whole scene of Hopper waking up in his trailer and just tearing the entire place apart, looking for a, the thing I love about that scene is that he found something. If he yeah. didn't find anything, I would have been like, it would have been like, well, I mean, what did you expect to find? And then he found something. I'm just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, man. Another soundtrack thing, the fact that they used uh, Peter Gabriel's version of Heroes by David Bowie at the end of... Uh, the episode, uh, it was at the end of the third episode when they discover the fake Will's body in the water, but we don't know that it's fake yet. And they just brought in uh, Peter Gabriel's orchestral version of Heroes by David Bowie. And I was just like, oh, geez. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we should probably finish up because I could just keep picking up little tiny details and my ADD will take off with it. <laughs> um, looking forward to the second season. I hope it's good. I'm, I'm hopeful, cautiously hopeful, and I have faith. Yeah, I, uh, I have faith in the Duffer brothers. I think they can pull it off. Like I said, there's some things that uh, give me some give me pause, but but I think they can take it, take it, take it away. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that one. <laughs> well, I know where we're going to the end of the episode. Hey so, hey, <laughs> uh, this guy, this, this guy, guy over right here with the just rapid fire sideways, um. And dead. Anyway, thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode, uh, for joining us this month. Uh, if there's something else about Stranger Things that you wanted to hear about uh, and we didn't talk about, feel free to send us something in the comments. Ask. I still haven't responded to asks on Tumblr. I'm a terrible person. I apologize. Um, but... Uh, we're we we're pretty good interacting with people on Twitter, um. But yeah, that's our discussion of Stranger Things. Uh, our contact info will be when you hear the music next month. We'll be back to talk about witches. Just in general. Yes. Witches in general. I mean, witches in horror, I guess, because we are a horror podcast. But, That's true, yeah. Um, That's fair. And uh, if all goes according to plan, we should have a special guest, writer T Audrey T. Carroll, who just came out with a poetry book called Queen of Pentacles and is uh, working on uh, getting her novel about witches uh, published through the Geek and Sundry uh, Ink Shares contest. I'll have a link to that up in the blog post. But yeah, she should be joining us next month to talk about witches and stuff. So that should be awesome. She's that person that I know we've referenced before on the podcast where I'm just like, she writes a lot and 
she's awesome. <laughs> I think when we were talking about horror from a writing perspective, we might have brought brought her up a couple that yeah, brought her up a couple of times. Yeah, I think we might have broached the topic of uh, sheer volume <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah, so we have that to look forward to. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOTPodcast. Find full episode posts at amatteroftastepodcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Yeah.